0: Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you this morning. It is good to be back with you again, here to worship God with you. It's always a privilege to be able to travel and meet other Christians in different parts, but it is always especially good to be back home with our brothers and sisters here. We miss you and we love you and we're glad to see you this morning. I need to jump right into the study right now because we got a lot to talk about in a relatively short amount of time. So will you please go into your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me this morning. I want to start reading with 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse number 15. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse number 15, the Apostle Paul says, be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself to prove to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. What good is a standard if you don't know how to use that standard correctly? What good is a ruler if you don't know how to use that ruler correctly? I mean, if you don't know how to use a ruler correctly then when trying to measure something to be six inches, there's a big chance that you're gonna get that measurement wrong. There's a big chance that you're gonna get a five-inch measurement, or a seven-inch measurement, or an eight, or a nine, or even a 10-inch measurement. You see, if you don't know how to use a standard of measurement correctly, then that standard of measurement's not gonna do you much good. That standard of measurement is not going to help you achieve what you're trying to achieve. You might as well not have that standard of measurement in the first place. This is something that is true when it comes to using a ruler or a thermometer or a clock or a measuring cup or even even the Bible. You see, just like a ruler is the standard for inches and centimeters and millimeters, and just like a thermometer is the standard for temperature, and just like a clock is the standard for time, well, the Bible is the standard for our faith. The Bible is the standard for the things that we believe and practice. The Bible is the standard that we must meet if we're going to be able to please God at the highest level. The question, though, is, is how do we use it? How do we properly use the Bible? How do we properly use God's standard in such a way? that we can know with 100% certainty that we are pleasing God because we're only doing the things that he has told us to do. How would you explain that to someone? How would you explain that to your friends who are not Christians? How would you explain that to your co-worker? How would you explain that to your neighbor? How would you explain that to a new convert in this church? How would you explain that even to your children, especially your teenage children who are trying to develop their own faith? Well, I submit that if we're going to properly know how to use God's standard, which is the Bible, then we're going to have to spend some time talking about how God gives instructions. We're going to have to spend some time talking about the three ways that God gives instructions and the three ways he gives us authority to do certain things in our lives. The first way, the first way God gives us instructions through the Bible is sometimes God just tells us plainly what to do. Sometimes God just tells us plainly what to do. You may be more familiar with this By saying that sometimes God gives instructions and and he authorizes certain practices by giving us a direct statement. Now, you should have noticed this in your studies from the book of Genesis. Have you noticed this from your studies in Genesis? Have you noticed the direct statements that are found all over the place? You should have noticed this in the case of Noah. You should have noticed Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 14 where God told Noah, make yourself an ark. That's brothers and sisters, is a direct statement. God gives Noah a direct statement in Genesis 6 and verse 14, and he also gives a direct statement to Abraham. He tells Abraham to go forth from your country to a land that I will show you. That right there is a direct statement. I'm also reminded of the Ten Commandments that God gave to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. Every one of those commandments are direct statements. I'm also reminded of what Jesus says. In Mark 16 and verse 15, where Jesus tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that right there is a direct statement. I'm also reminded of what Peter says. In Acts 2 in verse number 38 where Peter says repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That right there is a direct statement. I'm also reminded of what Paul says as he quotes the words of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 24. There is Paul quotes Jesus. Jesus says that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, we need to do this in remembrance of him. That right there is a direct statement. I'm also reminded of what Paul says to young people in Ephesians 6 and verse 1. There Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That right there is a direct statement. And I'm also reminded of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 where Paul says that we need to flee from immorality. We need to run away from immorality. We need to get away as far from sexual immorality as we can as possible. That right there is a direct statement. You see, sometimes, sometimes God gives us instructions by just plainly telling us what to do. He gives us a direct statement. But other times, other times God will give us instructions Not through a direct statement, but sometimes he'll give us instructions by showing us how other people did something. You may be familiar with this as being called an approved example. We want to emphasize this morning approved examples because, my dear friends, we need to understand that not all examples in the Bible are approved not all examples in the Bible are approved by God. For example, the hypocrisy of Peter in Galatians chapter two, well, that example is not approved by God. The, the lying and, and, and hypocrisy and deception of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five, that example is not approved by God. The sexual immorality that was being committed by that brother in 1 Corinthians chapter five in the church in Corinth, That example is not approved by God. You see, there are some examples in the Bible that are not approved by God, but we need to balance that with what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse number 9. In Philippians 4 and verse 9, Paul says, The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Notice how, why not all examples given in the Bible are approved by God. There are some examples that are approved by God. There are some examples that we need to imitate. There are some examples that we need to practice and do. Let me give you a good example of one that you may be very familiar with. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I want our young people to especially notice this. You need to really understand why we do the things that we do as members of the Lord's church. In Acts chapter 20 in verse number 7. Luke, the writer of Acts, he starts speaking in the first person here. He gives us a glimpse of what was going on in a worship assembly in the first century. And he says in Acts 20 in verse 7, On the first day, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, that's take the Lord's Supper, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Now, if you remember, we stated earlier, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 24, where Jesus commands us to take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. He says, he says you do this in remembrance of me. Question, when do we do that? When do we do that in remembrance of him? How often do we do that in remembrance of him? There is no direct statement in the Bible that gives us the answer to that question. There is no direct statement of the Bible where God just comes out and tells us, you do it on this particular day. We're not going to learn the answer to that question by finding a direct statement. Instead, we're going to find the answer to that question by looking at an example. We're going to look at an example of the early Christians. We're going to look at Acts 20, verse number 7. There in that verse, we see that when it came to partaking of the Lord's Supper in the first century, the early Christians did it on the first day of the week. They did it on Sunday. They did it on Sunday under the careful observation of an apostle. You see, if what these people we're doing what's wrong here. That the Apostle Paul, who is in this worship assembly, he certainly would have stopped them right in their tracks. Would you agree with that? He, he certainly would have told them, hey, you need to stop this. This is wrong. This is sinful. This is not the information that I received from the Holy Spirit about when this act of worship is to be done. I think we can all agree that the Apostle Paul would have stopped these Christians if they were taking the Lord's Supper on the wrong day. But notice, he didn't stop them. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't say that what they were doing was wrong and sinful. Instead, he put his stamp of approval on what they were doing by participating with them. He worshiped with them. He partook of the Lord's Supper with them on the first day of the week. You see, sometimes, sometimes, God will tell us what to do with a direct statement. And other times, God will show us what to do by giving us an approved example from a faithful servant of God. But then other times, God will give us instructions through what is called implication. Implication. Now, you may be more familiar with this, with the language of necessary inference. You've ever heard of necessary inference? I'm pretty sure that if you've been in the church for several years, you've heard of that before. You know what a necessary inference is, right? You know that a necessary inference is when we are forced to conclude something based on the language of the text. In the text, the speaker implies something. That is not expressed through a direct statement or an example, and the hearer infers. The hearer is forced to make a conclusion based on the implication by the speaker. That's why it's called a necessary, a necessary inference. God gives instructions through necessary inferences. In fact, God may give instructions through this method. More than any other method in the Bible. Let me give you an example of this. Here is a, a famous one. You're probably familiar with this one in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. This is talking about when Jesus got baptized. This is an easy one to understand. The Bible says that after being baptized, Jesus came up. Notice he came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God ascending as a dove and lightning upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Notice how when it came to the baptism of Jesus. Though the scripture never specifically says that he went down into the water, it is implied, it is implied that he did, right? There is an implication here in the verse. I mean, I hope we can all agree that one cannot come up out of the water unless they first what? unless they first go down into the water. Though the scripture never specifically says Jesus went down into the water, the implication of Matthew's language here is that he did. The language requires that he goes down into the water to first come up out of it. That's called a necessary inference we have to make. That's what you find there in Matthew chapter three, but let me give you another one in Acts chapter eight. I think this is a good one here in Acts chapter eight. In Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse number 26, if you remember, there was an occasion when Philip was led by the Holy Spirit to an important man from Ethiopia. This man from Ethiopia was a treasurer for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, and he was also a eunuch. And he had evidently been proselytized into the Jewish religion because he was on his way back to Ethiopia just after he had finished worshiping God in Jerusalem. And so as he's making his way back home to Ethiopia, he's in his chariot and he's reading the scriptures. He's reading the book of Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah 53 where Isaiah talks about the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. And so Philip is led to this man and Philip goes into his chariot and he sees this man reading from the scriptures and this man doesn't have a clue of what he's what he's reading he doesn't know what the bible's talking about he doesn't know who jesus is he doesn't know about the crucifixion of jesus and philip decides to help him he helps him understand the bible better and so in acts chapter 8 and verse 35 in verse 35 it says then philip this is the preacher he opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture he preached jesus to him as they went along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said look water what prevents me from being baptized now wait a minute just a second how in the world did this man know about that why in the world does this man want to get baptized why does he want to go down into some water i mean remember just a few minutes ago He didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't even know that Isaiah in Isaiah 53 was talking about the Messiah. He didn't know about the death and the and the burial and the and the resurrection of of the Messiah. And now all of a sudden he wants to be baptized. Now all of a sudden he wants to get baptized right there in the middle of the desert. Where did he learn about the necessity of baptism? Well, based on the language of the text, it is implied that he had to have learned it from Philip. It is implied that he had to have learned this when Philip preached Jesus to him. You see, when when, when Philip preached Jesus to him, he clearly must have told him about the necessity of baptism. I mean, clearly, one cannot properly preach Jesus without also properly preaching the truth about baptism. Philip preached to this man the truth about baptism. He preached to him about the necessity of baptism. He probably told him about how Jesus said that one must believe the gospel and be baptized in order to be saved. That's why this man wants to get baptized before he gets home to Ethiopia. Do you see that? Sometimes God gives instructions through a direct statement. And sometimes God gives instructions through an approved example, and other times God gives instructions through an implication or a necessary inference, and I'm pretty sure that someone's probably sitting in the audience and thinking to themselves, well, Sean, I'm just not buying it. I'm not buying anything you're trying to sell this morning. This looks like something you made up. This looks like some Church of Christ doctrine. This looks like something that you're parroting. It sounds to me like you're just repeating something that you heard another preacher say. I'm pretty sure there's probably someone thinking that right now in the audience. And if you are thinking that right now, let me ask you to do something for me. Let me ask you to take God out of it for just a a second. Take God out of it. Take Jesus out of it. Take the Bible out of it. Just think about your everyday life. Just think about your everyday conversations. Just think about your your everyday interactions with other people. I mean, can you in your daily life give someone instructions without doing one of these three things right here? I certainly can't. I certainly can't tell my children what to do without doing one of these three, three things right here. For example, if I want my beautiful daughter Faith at home while I'm sitting on the couch to come and give me a big kiss. How might I go about of communicating that with her? You think a direct statement might work? You think me as her daddy saying, hey, hey, Faith, come here and give your your daddy a kiss. Do you think that's something that a five-year-old could even understand? You think a little child could understand a direct statement, and what about when it comes to communicating with her about how exactly I want her to clean her room? I mean, in addition to telling her directly, hey, Faith, clean your room. If I wanted to, to be even more precise, I could also show her how to clean her room, couldn't I? I could also show her how to make her bed and how to put away her dirty clothes and would have put Barbie and Princess Poppy and Elsa. You think that might work too? You think an approved example is something? that a five-year-old could understand? And what about each Sunday when I stand at that back door and I give my son my Bible and my Bible notes and tell him to go and put those things on my desk in my office? Are there all kinds of implications found in those instructions? I mean, isn't it implied that he has to walk down the hall and open up the door to my office and enter into my office and maybe even have to clear off some clutter on my desk So he can put my Bible and my sermon notes on my desk. Do you think that's something that even an 11 year old can understand? What I want you to see is these principles that I'm talking with you about right now. These are not principles that are invented by me or any other gospel preacher. They are not principles invented by members of the Church of Christ. They are not some rules that only are to be applied to the Bible. Instead, they are everyday common rules of communication. They are everyday common sense, logical rules of communication. These are principles that govern how we talk to each other every single day. They are principles that govern how we communicate with each other every single day. You see, the same way we talk to each other, the same way we communicate with each other, the same way we authorize things with each other is exactly how God does so in his word. In fact, where do we think we got the ability to talk like that in the first place? That comes from God. We didn't come up with that. I cannot tell someone what to do without doing one of these three, three things right here. I cannot do it. You cannot do that. You cannot tell anyone what to do without either giving them a direct statement or an approved example or a necessary inference. If you have another way in which you can give instructions besides these three things, then meet me at the front, at the front door and tell me what you've come up with because you can change the world. You can change how people have been communicating with each other for thousands and thousands of years. I would like to hear that. these are common rules of communication. The same way we talk, that's how God talks. That's how God gives instructions. But in addition to that, I need to say one more thing before we close. In addition to talking with you about how God gives instructions, I also need to say some things about the differences that exist between generic and specific authority. I need to say some things to you very quickly about generic and specific authority. You see, when it comes they're trying to understand what God wants us to do in the Bible. In addition to understanding the differences between direct statements and approved examples and inferences, we also need to understand that sometimes, sometimes when God gives us instructions in his word, he's very generic with those instructions, and other times he's very specific. Other times when God commands us to do something, the method or the means of obeying that commandment, they are specified. For example, in the case of Noah, God specified that Noah was to build an ark, right? He said, I want you to build an ark. He didn't say anything about building a treehouse. He didn't say anything about building a ramp or a platform. No, God told Noah, I want you to build an ark. He specified an ark. He also specified a certain kind of wood, didn't he? He said, I want you to use gopher wood. He also specified the dimensions of the ark. He specified how long the ark was to be, how wide the ark was to be. God was very specific when it came to these kinds of things with the ark, and God was also very specific when it came to Naaman the Syrian. If you remember in 2 Kings chapter 5, God told Naaman the Syrian that if you want to be healed of your dreadful disease of leprosy, then you've got to dip seven times, not five, not six, Seven times in a very specific river. You got to go to the Jordan River. God was very specific with Naaman. And in our case, when it comes to the Great Commission, Jesus says, I want you to go into all the world. And I want you to preach the gospel. Jesus didn't say anything by preaching the Quran. Jesus didn't say anything about preaching Judaism. Jesus didn't say anything about preaching the Book of Mormon. No, Jesus said, I want you to preach the gospel. In fact, in addition to telling us to preach the gospel, when you go to Matthew's account of this, there the Lord also tells us that he wants us to baptize people. He wants us to immerse people. He doesn't want us to pour water on people's heads or sprinkle water on people's heads and call that baptism. No, Jesus specified baptism. And in the case of the Lord's Supper, when instituting it in Matthew 26, Jesus specified that the elements are to be unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. Not Papa John's pizza, not Burger King, not Coke, not Pepsi, not Sprite. Jesus said unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. Do you see how God is very specific? Sometimes God is very specific with his instructions, but other times, other times God is a little bit more, more general. Other times God is a a little bit more generic. Other times he gives us a commandment to obey, but the method or, or the means of obeying it is not really specified in the text. For example, in the case of Noah, while God specified the wood and the dimensions of the ark, he didn't specify the tools, did he? I mean, wouldn't you agree that Noah is going to need some tools to be able to to build this ark? Of course he's going to need some tools, but God didn't specify any tools. You know what that means? That means that God left it up to him to use some judgment. God gave him a little wiggle room to make some judgment. God specified the dimensions. He specified the wood. He left it up to Noah to decide on what kind of tools he needed to use. In the case of the Great Commission, while Jesus while Jesus does tell us to baptize or immerse people for the forgiveness of their sins, he doesn't tell us where to baptize people. He doesn't tell us where to immerse people. You know what that means? That means that we could do it in a lake. And we could do it in a river. We could do it in the ocean. We could do it in the Amalong swimming pool. We could do it in their jacuzzi. We could even do it right here in this baptistry. Jesus specifies baptism or immersion. He leaves it up to us to decide where to perform it. And in the case of Hebrews 10 and verse 25, you're familiar with that verse. God tells us he wants us to assemble, doesn't he? God tells us he doesn't want us to forsake. The assembling of ourselves together. God says, I want you to assemble. But he doesn't tell us where to assemble. He doesn't tell us where our meeting place is to be. You know what that means? That means we could assemble at at our house. And we could assemble at the Sheely's house. And we could assemble at, at the Johnson's house. We could assemble in an open field somewhere. We could even assemble right here in this church building. You see, we have generic authority for a church building. If we didn't have generic authority for a church building, then guess what? We don't need to be having one. We don't need to have this building if we don't have authority for it, but clearly we do. We have generic authority for a meeting place in Hebrews 10 in verse number 25. And then in the case of the Lord's Supper, while the elements and the first day of the week or specified in the Bible, the hour to partake of it is not. You know, each Lord's Day in this place, we do it at around about 11 o'clock, right? But you know, we could do it about four o'clock in the morning if you want to get up that early. And we could do it at six o'clock in the morning. We could do it at six o'clock in the evening. We could even do it at 11 o'clock at night. We can do it at any time we want to do it as long as we do it on the first day of the week. God specifies the day he leaves the decision up to us to decide the hour as long as we do it on the right day. Generic, specific authority. And like with the previous points, these things I'm talking with you about, these are part of everyday rules of communication. I talk this way every day. You talk this way every day. I tell my daughter sometimes, please go and get your daddy. Go get him a soda out the fridge. Do you see how there's generic and specific elements to those instructions? The specific part was, I want a soda, Faith. I don't want grape juice, don't want cranberry juice, don't want orange juice, and I definitely don't want no water. No, please, (laughs) please go get me a soda. I was very specific. I want a soda. But I didn't tell her what kind of soda to get me, did I? So that means she can bring me a Pepsi, a Coke Zero, a Sprite Zero, Root beer, she can bring me any kind of drink she wants as long as it's a soda. That's so easy that a five-year-old gets it. Imagine Teresa calls Mike when he gets off from work. She says, I want you to, to go and pick up some food on the way home. There's generic and specific authority all over that. You see that? She was very specific. She said, I want some food. I don't want a new puppy. She didn't say anything about a new puppy. She didn't say anything about a big screen TV. She didn't say anything about a Tesla, although she might take a Tesla. But she didn't say she wanted a Tesla, did she? She said, I want some food. She was very specific. I want food, but she didn't tell Mike what kind of food to go and get. And so Mike, since she didn't specify that, he has some wiggle room. He can pick up Papa John's, he can pick up Five Guys, he can pick up In-N-Out, he can pick up Chili's, Red Robin, whatever he wants, as long as it's food. These are not rules that I came up with this morning. These are not rules that were created by gospel preachers. These are not rules invented by members of the Church of Christ. These are not rules that are to be applied only to the Bible. Instead, this is how we talk. This this is how we communicate. This is how we communicate with each other as human beings on a daily basis. We talk this way all the time. We give instructions this way all the time. And it shouldn't surprise us to find God doing the same thing in his word. God gives instructions the same way we give instructions to one another and for those who may be wondering why all of this is so important let me say that this is important this is an important lesson because we want to respect God We want to respect God. We want to respect God as the creator. We want to respect God as the king. We want to respect God as the one who has the authority to give us instructions. In fact not only do we want to respect God as the one who has the authority to give us instructions. But we also also want to respect his instructions. We want to respect his instruction book, which is the Bible. We want to make sure that we only do what God has told us to do or authorized us to do. In fact, that's one of the main main reasons why there's so much religious division in the world today. My friends, the reason why there's so much religious division in the world today, even among members of the Church of Christ, is because people fail to apply these basic principles of communication to the Word of God. They fail to use the same standard of measurement that they use every day to talk with the Word of God. That's why we live in a world where babies and infants are being baptized. That's why we live in a world where so many people think it's okay for women to be preachers. That's why we live in a world where so often the Lord's money is being abused. And people are taking the Lord's Supper once a month or once a year. And why we have so many different denominations in the world today. You see, when we approach God's word with a total disregard to these basic principles of communication and authority, you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna make a mess of things. We're gonna make a mess of the Bible. We're gonna wind up doing things that we don't have a right to do. We're gonna wind up disrespecting God. We're gonna fail in using God's word properly. God has given us instructions in his word. And praise God that we can understand those instructions We can study those instructions, we can read those instructions, and most importantly, we can do those instructions. In fact, maybe there's someone here this morning, and you need to do, you need to do what God has clearly told you to do in his word. You need to do what Jesus says in Mark 16 and verse 16, and that is believe the gospel and be be baptized. You need to follow the example of all the people in the book of Acts who responded to the same gospel that you have before you this morning. If there's someone here this morning who needs to obey the instructions of God when it comes to salvation, gaining salvation, don't hesitate. Come to the front right now. Let's stand, let's sing.